Good morning, Faith Community Church. This is Palm Sunday, the start of Easter week, where we begin the celebration of Jesus' story over death and the sin in the world by remembering how Jesus started out Easter week, entering Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, with people shouting Hosanna, waving palm branches, and laying down their cloaks. My name is Serene Nedenrip. I'm on the teaching team at Faith Community Church, and it's my honor to bring you the word this week. Um, this story, Palm Sunday, is one of the more memorable stories, I think, in the Christian faith, partly because of the donkey and the parade and the palm branches, but also because we revisit it every year. And by returning to the same story year after year, it makes it kind of an anchor story of the Christian faith, um, a story that followers of Jesus can return to and can be is fixed in our hearts and our imaginations through repetition. It was also an anchor story for the disciples. We know that they returned to this memory over and over. All four gospel writers include it in their narrative of Jesus' life. And when they tell it, we know that they returned to it, that they talked about it, that they reflected on it, because they say that they didn't understand what was going on at the time. That day, the disciples were just present and they, they can only tell us what they remember, but only by reflecting on it later did they eventually come to understand some of what Jesus was doing and why. So all four gospel writers include this scripture, but we're gonna read the one in chapter um, chapter 12, verse 1 to 19 of John. So six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And we'll skip down to verse 9. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and believing in Jesus. The next day, the crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. This is from Zechariah nine. Do not be afraid. Daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they had heard that he'd performed this sign that the crowd went to meet him. The Pharisees then said to one another, See, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Five years ago, I had the opportunity to be in Rome during Easter week and attend the Holy Week Masses, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter service at the Vatican. And as a California girl who works with college students, most of my church experience is fairly informal. So I was pretty curious about the high church experience and what that would be like. All I knew was that the services were much, much longer. But whatever I had imagined, Palm Sunday was so much crazier than that. 
So Palm Sunday is held outside the Vatican in St. Peter's Square with its massive colonnades designed by Bernini. It's a famous architectural feat. And it's a massive open air space. And in non-pandemic years, it can seat up to 100,000 people. And this place was loud. Multiple languages were being spoken everywhere. People were dressed up, each kind of in their own way, so that you had the tourists in their cargo pants and t-shirts. But you had like, um, you had people visiting who were dressed in full formal wear, suits and heels and hats. Then you had groups of religious pilgrims in their matching uniforms from all over the world. It was hot, the lines, were for secure, the lines for security were super long. And even with tickets ahead of time, even though we knew, even though we got there hours and hours early, the people just still masked up against the gates to, um, and the barriers to force their way through the main gate. So most of us in the crowd were from out of town, but some people were obvious locals and they knew exactly how to manage the situation and these mainly were big groups of nuns and they would move like one they were unified and they just knew their business you could tell they'd been to bunches of these services and they would stick out their elbows like concert going professionals and aggressively push their way up front and they would basically show up and there'd be a huge crowd that had been waiting for hours and they'd go from the back to the front like it was like cutting through butter. It was so easy for them. Um, so then we get through the gates, right? And it's even more chaos. We have to find seats. It's super hot. It's like this Italian summer sun and the service hasn't even started yet. And we've been up for hours and we had olive branches because in um, Italy, they olive trees are ubiquitous, less palm trees, I guess. So um, everyone was waving an olive branch. And they were yelling and shouting and there's selfie sticks everywhere. And eventually the ground is covered with leaflets and olive branches as well. And the mass finally starts with an hour long processional where all the bishops and the Pope being carried in his chair weave their way up and down the aisles. Somewhere along this, like around this time, the kid next to us loses his breakfast on the ground so we're sitting next to that in the heat, all that. And we can't, we can barely see the Pope. He's like way over there and the service is in Latin and it's four hours. So we could barely hear it. The speakers are echoing and we had little kids. We barely made it halfway through the service. It was more like going to Six Flags in August than going to church. But what I liked about that experience, I mean, it's a good story, but it was probably exactly like what it felt like to be a part of that original crowd, the great crowd, it says in John, that there, it was a great crowd that went out to meet Jesus on the day he came into Jerusalem. So who was this crowd that went out to meet Jesus? We already know that the residents of Jerusalem were not going out to meet him favorably. They had shown themselves to be hostile to Jesus and that the Jewish leadership were actively seeking a way to harm or kill Jesus. And so because of, it says because of the visiting crowds for Passover and the excitement over Lazarus, which happened right outside Jerusalem, that the chief priests realized that they won't be able to touch him until these crowds have gone home. 
So that's how we know. It's just, there's tons and tons of visiting crowds. Um, so there might have been some people from Jerusalem who had seen him raise Lazarus, who are part of the crowd, but most of them are visitors, people in town for the Passover festival. And they're probably there because they're hoping to see Jesus. And he's the buzz. He's the prophet that everyone's talking about. It might have gone like, I heard the prophet Jesus might be in Jerusalem for the Passover. Do you think we could actually see him? We should go for this year. We should go to the Passover. And then once they learned Jesus is, is coming to Jerusalem and is right outside of town, the word would have been, uh, there would have been like the equivalent of live tweeting, which is just word of mouth. So the word is passing through town like lightning. He's in Bethany. He left the house. He stopped in Bethphage. I wonder what he's going to do there. What's he going to do? Is he going to heal somebody? Should we go there? Oh, he's right outside Jerusalem. It's only a mile away. He sent for a donkey. Oh my gosh, it's going to be a triumphal procession. Let's get palm branches. Bring a cloak. Okay, let's cover the road. He's coming. He's coming this way. And the crowd prepares the road for him. And the crowd rushes out to meet him shouting and singing the Hosanna Psalm, Psalm 118, that they would have sing for triumphal processions. Hosanna, save us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Give us success, bless us. The King of Israel, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They may have hoped that he was their king. They might have been thinking that. They wouldn't have been the first crowd to want to make him king, but I'm thinking that it's not clear that they really understood him to be the king, like the Messiah. There was some consensus around um, Jesus being a prophet, being from God, having authority, and that would have made him a big enough deal to do this, um, to throw such a parade for him, because it had been generations since God's people had heard a word uh, had had a prophet or somebody God sent to them who could speak with authority, who could speak on behalf of God. But I'm not sure that they really knew quite what was going on. The disciples, on the other hand, they knew he was the Messiah. They had had private conversations about it. And so when this triumphal procession comes to meet them, their hopes could not be higher all their greatest imaginative uh, imagination and dreams finally started to come true. Jesus was finally getting the attention and the accolades and the popularity that he deserved and that was fitting for a Messiah. And it was happening in Jerusalem because they had seen this in Galilee where crowds came out to meet him and loved him and found him wherever he was. But in Jerusalem, they'd only experienced rejection. So for the disciples, they knew privately Jesus was the Messiah, but they had not experienced this publicly in Jerusalem. So as they approach the city and people run to meet them and declare favor and praise on Jesus, the disciples might have felt like, finally, our time has come. And finally, Jesus is actually letting this happen. Up to this point, Jesus kept saying, it's not my hour. It's not my time. It's coming later. Um, and he would only talk with them about his timing later, um, as later. But now Jesus is saying, my hour has come, that I, it's time for me to be glorified. It's time for me to be lifted up. And they would have thought, oh, we, this is what we thought. We thought when we come to Jerusalem, then we will come into power. Jesus will take his rightful place as king and we're going to go with him. We're, we're his guys. 
So they are not thinking about this procession leading to Jesus' death like we do now with hindsight. Even though he had spoken plainly with them at least three times that he would go to Jerusalem, he would be handed over, he would die and be raised again and meet them, the disciples still were not understanding of that. And in their hearts, they didn't realize that, um, that all of their hopes and expectations by the end of the week would be completely shattered. For now, in this procession, all the signs are pointing to Jesus being set on a throne. And then at the center of all these hopes and expectations and speculations from the crowd is Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. So every, I just love the donkey part. Every other day, Jesus had walked on his own two feet from Lazarus' house to Jerusalem. It was a couple miles. It's a short walk for them. They weren't like, oh, two miles is so far, or we should take the bus. Donkeys were a fairly normal mode of transportation for uh, businessmen or rich men or important men. But Jesus, up till now, his ministry has been fairly humble. His persona and his place in society is he walks. So what is he doing? Why does he stop halfway to the city, right outside the city in Bethphage, right before you turn the corner to see the city? Why does he stop? And why does he let the crowd get all excited and the buzz build when he knows that what this really ends in is the cross? So Jesus asks for the donkey and he sends his disciples for it, which you can see in the other gospel accounts. And he makes this deliberate move to approach Jerusalem as a king, riding on a donkey. He lets the people celebrate him and sing his praises like a king. He, he's answering this question that's buzzing all around Israel. Who is Jesus? Is he really the one we've been waiting for? Is he the true king of Israel? And Jesus is, is saying by sitting on the donkey and riding in and letting them praise him, yes, I am your promised king. I've come for you. The one they had been waiting for. So this term, is, it cap, it's captured through many prophecies, but the one that is referenced here is in Zechariah 9. And Jesus would have known that he was fulfilling this. It was a 500-year-old prophecy, and it was spoken to the prophet Zechariah just a few years after Israel had returned to Jerusalem after a, a long two-generation exile, 70 years. Israel had been outside Jerusalem, and then they were a bunch of the people return, and the prophet Zechariah receives this word from God, this promise that God will give Israel a lasting king. Uh, in Zechariah 9, verse 1, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous, victorious, humble, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope, even now that I will restore twice as much to you. So Israel receives this promise that 
that God will give her a true king, a righteous king, a good king. He will be victorious and triumphant and he won't need a war horse or to conquer anymore and they can be done with all the warring with, with other nations. But it had been 500 years of leaders, rulers, puppet kings, other governments conquering them, but the true king who was righteous, they were still waiting on him. And so when Jesus comes and fulfills the Zechariah promise, he's doing it deliberately and thoroughly and to make a statement about who he is. First, Jesus fulfills the Zechariah promise by coming in the way of a king. Some point out that the donkey shows that he's humble because he's not on a horse, but actually it's just a sign of his identity. Triumphant kings rode donkeys. He doesn't need to conquer. He, there's no one left to conquer. He rides in as already victorious. His identity is that he has already and always been Israel's true king, not just for the future, not just from here on out, but already triumphant. So he doesn't ride in on a war horse because he isn't coming to conquer. And then Jesus is the kind of king that was promised in Zechariah as well. He's humble, he's righteous, he has salvation in his hands. He's restoring, delivering, he's bringing peace, commanding peace, proclaiming peace to the whole world, and he's their forever king. Jesus is the kind of king that was promised in Zechariah. But we know, so the crowd probably thinks Jesus is, is responding to Jesus like a king, but mostly like a celebrity. And their understanding of who he really is and what he's doing, uh, it, it's unclear that they really understand. The disciples, they knew he was the Messiah, but they didn't know what kind of king. They still think that he needs to come into power in Jerusalem. But Jesus knows who he is and he knows what he's doing. And, and even though most of the people there didn't understand this or see the significance of this event till later, even though they're not going to understand, he comes to his daughter Jerusalem. He orchestrates this whole triumphant procession and he initiates a celebration with him at the center. Even though he knows that the events of the week are going to shatter everyone's hopes and expectations when he dies on the cross. And even with an awareness of his own imminent suffering and murder and how he, it will break his own disciples' hearts, that in a week they're going to be disillusioned and lost and scattered. And even though he knows they're not going to make it till the end of the week with him, in this moment he still encourages them toward hope and celebration. He knows the heavy expectations on him. He knows what the crowd wants. He knows what the disciples want. He knows what they're thinking. And he knows he's going to disappoint all of them. But he still encourages them to look to him put, and put their trust in him. When Jesus talks about it being his time to be lifted and glorified, he knows the disciples hear something other than being crucified. He knows that glory to them is different, but he still calls them to follow him. And he calls them all to follow him, trust him, put their hope in him, fix their eyes on him, even though he knows that no one will make it the week. No one's going to make it to the cross, for, cross with him. No one can go with him to do that. And no one's going to make it to Easter unless he helps them. This is a word for us, faith community. 
No one makes it the full Easter week, all the way to the resurrection, except for Jesus. During Holy Week, in the Bible, everyone falls away as Jesus goes to the cross. It's going to be the same for us. None of us have faith strong enough to follow Jesus all the way from the triumphant procession to the cross. None of us are going to make it to Easter. We need Jesus to give us a more resilient faith than we have now. As an example, you can just look at this year. This year, we found out just how weak our faith really is. We found out that none of us have a faith that can make it through the whole year. None of us. I mean, well, maybe you, but definitely not me. And I don't know anyone who feels like they really made it this year. All of us hit a wall, hit our limits. All of us wavered in our faith. Where is God and what is he doing? We all struggled with dashed expectations, whether it was like a vacation that was canceled or family that let you down or friends that let you down or just you had a specific expectation that was not met this year. Some people just wanted to have only one COVID birthday and now they have to have a second one. And some days this year, a lot of us gave up and we just gave in to hopelessness or temptation or we gave in to despair. We felt let down by people in our community, but we also know we let other people down. We were overwhelmed with fear, depression. We struggled to trust that God was still good, that God was caring for us in the midst of this year. We struggled to trust each other. The grief and terror of this year almost took us out. We saw some of the ugliest evils running rampant in our world death and destruction, hatred, racism, exploitation and abuse. And it is a true word that none of us have faith strong enough to follow Jesus all the way to the cross. None of us will make it to Easter on our own faith. But it's also true that Jesus knows this about us and he knows we're weak. And he calls us still to follow him, to trust him and put our hope in him anyway. And he encourages, encourages us and encourages this original crowd to get our hopes up, to let your hope be raised. Mark said this just last week, let your hopes be, to be raised, let them grow, cultivate hope because he is going to transform any weak or wimpy faith that you bring him into a resilient faith. He'll do it by anchoring it in the power of his resurrection. Let me show you what I mean. Faith doesn't actually grow in a linear way. I think I would prefer it this way, always going up, nice and steady, predictable, where the more time you follow Jesus, the more faith you have. But that's not the story of scripture, and that's not the story of real life. It also doesn't grow like a staircase where you just level up or like a video game where you can level up and you never ever go back to the other level. Like I am on level 4C of Mario Brothers. It just doesn't work that way. Um, faith is much more, um, it grows much more like a roller coaster than a stairway to heaven. It starts with holy discontent. So, and you, you open yourself up to more. God cultivates something in you where you just want more. And you say, God, give me, 
um, give me hope, give me a fresh word, and you look to Jesus, and he gives you a burst of promise or expectation, and it feels great. Oh, like you, you have some expectation and hope for some kind of breakthrough or something new and growth. And ideally, we want that first sign of fresh faith to immediately go to more new faith. But Jesus knows that that faith is not rooted in him. It's rooted in our expectation. It's rooted in our own strength. And eventually it will wither when things get hard. And we see that all throughout Holy Week, the people who leave Jesus as it gets harder and harder to get to the cross. No one makes it to the end. So instead, when you have this untested, when you, when you have this first blip of untested faith and these hopes that Jesus has encouraged, he's, he's given you a promise or some expectation that he's going to come through for you. Uh, he wants to anchor that in his resurrection power, but before resurrection always comes crucifixion. So what really needs to happen to our untested faith is that your hopes and your expectations, they need to be crucified with Christ on the cross, which is death. And it leads sometimes to this crisis of faith, this bottom part, where it's a turning point. And it's, it's a real death of your own faith, the kind that's rooted in you that's rooted in your might, faith in your ability to follow God. In Zechariah 4, it says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's where breakthrough comes from. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So at this crisis of faith, when your faith dies, then Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, can resurrect it, can resurrect us. By seeking Jesus... As our faith dies, we can seek Jesus in a whole kind of way. And by seeking him instead of our expectations, we'll find the resurrected Jesus. And he can revive our hope, make it live again, and give it new life, new staying power that can withstand disappointment and fear and hardship. So we need to let our expectations and what Jesus is going to do or what we want him to do, we need to let those expectations and the faith that we do have die with Jesus and instead and, and instead cultivate expectancy in who Jesus is, not what he's going to do, that trusts who he is, that fixes our eyes on him, that believes him when he comes into Jerusalem as a king, that he is king, even if he doesn't come like the king we want him to be. Untested faith. Is, it feels so much better sometimes than even revived hope or breakthrough faith. But untested faith it will wither, and it needs to go through that cycle of crucifixion and resurrection in order to become resilient resurrection faith so that it lasts. again. And we need to go through that cycle again and again. That's why it's a roller coaster, because it just needs to keep dying and being resurrected and um, until we have that resurrection faith in us. But today is Palm Sunday. It's the up part of the roller coaster. Jesus deliberately cultivates expectation and hope and faith and excitement and celebration. And so 
I think the word for us today, the pastoral word, the encouragement is that you can give into this. You can enjoy today. Any hope you do have, any faith you do have, even the smallest amount, Jesus can work with. It is good to get your hopes up. It is good to have your hopes be raised today. Let them go higher than you normally are comfortable with. I think I have a, I have a way that I can guard against getting my hopes up because I get tired of having them dashed and resurrected. And even though that's more resilient faith, it doesn't feel as fun. The, the death is a real death. The, the, the sadness, the disappointment, it's real disappointment. And disillusionment is real disillusionment. So I can guard against wanting my faith to be raised, but part of trusting Jesus is letting him cue you when it's time to celebrate, when it's time to be excited. And, and Palm Sunday is how we do that, right before Easter when he dies for us. Right before, on Friday, we're gonna have, we're gonna reflect on his death and his suffering and each of the ways that his body um, bore our sin. Today we get to celebrate, we get to just welcome him into our world and ask, ask for his perspective, all that he wants to do in our life. So don't guard against hopelessness today, against hopefulness today, and put away hopelessness. We celebrate Palm Sunday every year, partly to remember that Jesus entered Jerusalem just as he said he would, as the promised true and righteous King of Israel. But we also celebrate Palm Sunday to remember that he's coming again. We celebrate and prepare for Jesus as our soon coming King. So letting our hopes be raised prepares our hearts and our faith for Jesus to come again. In the Zechariah prophecy, it calls people waiting on the promise, prisoners of hope, as if it's, um, as, as if it's a hostage situation where you're host being held hostage to this hope and this promise of a true and righteous king coming. And like the Israelites, we too are prisoners of hope, captivated and hostage to this promise that Jesus will return again. He promises that first coming in Zechariah when he came on a donkey into Jerusalem, but he also promises his second coming in Zechariah. In verse 14, it says, then the Lord will appear over them his arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south and the Lord Almighty will shield them. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. When King Jesus comes again, will we have guarded ourselves against hope or will we be full of resilient and resurrected faith that's been crucified and resurrected many times over, will we be ready to run out to meet him the way the crowd was at Jerusalem? Jesus is coming for you. He came to Jerusalem and he's coming for you, victorious with salvation in his hands, loving you and inviting you to let your hopes be resurrected, especially, especially inviting you to give him your hopes that have been just shattered this year. So for you, it's important to determine where are you on this roller coaster? Are you somewhere in this early part where, where you have some discontent, but you're guarded against hope? 
Or do you have fresh hope that's just been recently promised and cultivated? Look for Jesus. You don't have to crucify your own homes. Just look for him. Look for him through the crowd. Fix your eyes on him. Follow him as close as you can to the cross. Fix your eyes on him and let yourself be captivated by the hope he's cultivating you. Listen for his promises and fix your eyes on them. Ask the Holy Spirit to take you all the way through, to walk with you through that valley. Or maybe you're somewhere here on the lower end of the curve where your hope is being crucified right now and your disappointment is palpable and it's real and it's present and your grief or your terror or your um, anger is at an all-time high with God and you're experiencing a real death in your faith and it's in crisis. The word here is the same. Endure and look for Jesus. Look for his steadiness. Listen for his heartbeat that just keeps beating for you. Listen for the Holy Spirit encouraging you and walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Look to Jesus. Wait for him to come to you and revive you and give you a faith that is better than the one that has just died, that's stronger, more resilient, longer lasting. Don't give in to despair. So today is Palm Sunday, and I hope that we can celebrate, even if you're at this lower point, Jesus is coming for us, and we want to be ready for him. Let me pray. Jesus, you're our true and righteous king. And you are coming again. But our faith is weak and wimpy. And we need you to resurrect us. Give us resurrection faith, Holy Spirit. Fill us with hope. Help us to celebrate. Fill us with a spirit of celebration today. And I bless you, faith community, in the name of Jesus, to receive the spirit of celebration that the Lord is bringing to you. No matter where your faith is, no matter how hard today is, that you would find yourself drawn in to the celebration Jesus is inviting you into. He knows. He knows. And he wants you to know that he knows that it's hard and that your hopes are a mess. But he still invites you to celebrate with him today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>